Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Kara Golden, CEO of Hint Water and the author of Undaunted. And if you want to learn how to level up your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place, because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am sitting down with Kara Golden. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint, best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water and the author of Undaunted. She is an active speaker and writer and hosts the podcast Unstoppable with Kara Golden, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industry, and she lives in the Bay Area. Guys, I can't wait to get in this conversation with Kara. A company that she built is absolutely amazing, and there's so many questions that I have for her. But first, if you are a creator, a content creator, or if you are a guest on a lot of shows, on podcasts, on YouTube channels, whatever it may be, and I have a quick question for you. Have you ever tried booking big name guests for your podcast or YouTube channel or, or a virtual summit, but you just kept getting lost in a chain of emails and getting blocked out by gatekeepers and all of that stuff. And Or maybe you just want to bring more attention to your content or the business that you have by being a guest on other podcasts or YouTube channels or things like that, but you're just not exactly sure how to formulate your pitch or get a hold of the right people. 
Well, that is exactly why we created a tool called Guestio. It's actually a all-in-one software platform dedicated to helping you streamline your guesting workflow and grow your audience through finding, booking, and managing top-tier guests and shows that you actually want. So you can discover new guests and platforms, schedule interviews on your booking calendar that integrates with your actual calendars, communicate seamlessly with hosts and guests with a built-in messaging system, and download an easily shareable press kit complete with bio, headshots, links, and everything else that you might need for the creation process. And you can manage all of it from one dashboard. So if you're tired of being rejected and ignored by top guests and top shows and sick of using a dozen different tools to manage your guesting workflow, then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com right now to sign up for your free account and start using Guestio today. That's G-U-E-S-T-I-O.com. Kara, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yes, ma'am. I want to go ahead and just dive right in here and get into your story a little bit because I love the business that you created and what you've been able to do with it. So let's go ahead and peel back the curtain and uh, go back in time a little bit. Talk to me about 10, 11-year-old Kara. You know, parents, what, what did your parents do at the time? Where'd you grow up? All that fun stuff. Yeah, so I grew up in Arizona. I uh, like to talk about myself as an original settler of Arizona. There weren't a lot of people in Arizona at the time in Scottsdale <laughs> when I was there. And uh, now it's, it's a lot bigger but uh, booming. yeah, booming place. But I was, uh, you know, it's interesting. My parents were kind of on the older side when they had me. I mean, okay. old back then, they were 40 years old when they had me and that just wasn't done. So I, of all my friends, I had kind of the oldest parents. I also had four brothers and sisters that were older that were, I had two brothers that were pretty naughty. So coming after them, I think my parents had the attitude of just don't embarrass us and and be safe. I mean, that was kind of the attitude. So I was very independent and um, partially because I think my parents were a little tired by the time they had me. It was always a, a life of just go try things. And again, don't embarrass them and don't get them in trouble. And <laughs> yeah. Don't get in trouble. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So talk to me then about, you know, junior high, high school. Did you have a proclivity toward academics? Were you kind of typical entrepreneurial spirit and kind of bucking the system a little bit? Talk to me about how that experience was for you. So having older brothers and sisters, and they had, you know, we almost had two sets of families. So I have brother and sister that are a couple years older than me. And then I have another set that were like 15 and 16 years older than me. And they were, you know, having jobs, right? While I was like in diapers. And so mm. I would see them you know, be in my house, but then also going off and making money and being able to buy things along the way. But they were also, I think they they ultimately, I wanted to be them and I couldn't figure out why I, I couldn't be them. So I was a good student, but I was also always trying to kind of get what they had, right? Like they were able to go to the mall and buy things. And, you know, and finally, my first kind of true job was when I was 14, I decided to apply for a job that I, I saw a sign in the window in, in Old Town Scottsdale for a toy store. And they were hiring a cashier for the Sunday shift. And so I thought, well, that seems kind of fun. And why not? I'll just go apply. And I remember when I got the job, I went home and I told my dad that I got a job. And he was like, do they know that you're 14? And I'm like, <laughs> they never asked. And so he just thought it was really funny that they actually never asked. And so anyway, I ended up getting this job and within a couple of weeks, the owner of the toy store said, gosh, you really know a lot about toys. Well, again, I'm 14. Of course, I know a lot about toys. And so she started asking me to do the buying for the, for the store. And so <laughs> no I way. became a buyer. I was like, 
Tom Hanks and big, you know, I was like, I loved it. And so, you know, what was so great is in addition to me just having like this dream job and originally it was on Sundays. And then I started working after school and making a little bit of money. I also learned things like profit and loss and, you know, and markup and, you know, things that you don't learn in school. And so I became fascinated, you know, with that whole world, I think really, really early. Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure that that had to play into your social dynamic in high school a little bit. I feel like, you know, most kids get obviously get caught up in the drama of being in high school and being a 14, 15, 16 year old girl or, or guy, you know what I mean? And so usually when you are dealing with more adult type problems, you tend to maybe ostracize yourself from that crowd. Was that true for you at all? No, I mean, I think for me, I always, I mean, it's funny now because I have four kids and of course, like my youngest is in high school and, you know, there's always high school drama and there certainly was, you know, when I was in high school too. But I think for me, I had friends that worked after school and then I had other friends who didn't ever have to work, right? And so Mm -hmm. I always had this kind of group of, you know, people that, that sort of, I don't know. It just, it, it, there was a vast number. I was always kind of Switzerland. I, I hung out somewhere between <laughs> yeah. that. I always loved people that were like a little bit unique and mm-hmm. did different things. And then I also had other friends that were the popular kids or whatever you want to call them that yeah. were a lot of fun to like hang out with. But I think for me, I was just more than anything, I just always like wanted to have, I was always curious and I always wanted to have money in my pocket. And I always wanted to like have a good time. Like I yeah. was always just laughing and I never, I mean, part of what I think I, I really appreciate today and, and kind of looking back in the rearview mirror is that I always, you know, wanted to do things that I felt were like enjoying myself, right? Yeah, and right. and I think that that's still true today. And what I figured out in kind of starting a beverage company was I found passion, you know, in sort of health and really getting my health back. And, but I still, I got a kick out of the idea that I knew nothing about the beverage industry, even though I had, you know, been the youngest vice president at AOL and kind of had risen in the ranks um, at inside of tech. I thought, you know, I really want to go back to my roots of learning. And I just never feared kind of jumping and going into this totally different industry, which I think, again, just goes back to kind of where I grew up and kind of the, you know, I thought learning and jumping into something totally new is something that is, it has a lot of value, but it's when you're educated and at being educated, I think that you end up having a lot of fun doing it. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Do you think that your sense of curiosity was cultivated in the way that you grew up or was that something that was more innate inside of you? You know, I think it started, you know, again, with having brothers and sisters that were all really different. I mean, the one rule in my house growing up, my dad's rule was you have to play sports. Hmm. And so we always had to play sports. And so he didn't care what sport it was, but you always had to be doing something. And so my brothers were always doing football and baseball. And I was a runner and also a gymnast. And so, and then, you know, when I was off for some of the gymnastics, then I don't know, I would find another sport like that. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't that interested in, but I'd start playing softball or whatever. So I, I always felt like there was this curiosity around kind of learning new things that was really, you know, kind of impactful for me. And so I think that if you grow up in an environment where you're not where it's okay to do a lot of different things and constantly be kind of moving around and, and learning new things that I think that almost forces creativity. So I think for me, it really started with sports, but I think that that transfers then into the rest of your life and yeah. business as well, where you're just, you know, really curious. And, and I think even still today as a CEO of my company, I mean, 15 years later, I think that I always share with people that the beauty of my job as a CEO is that I'm actually allowed to sort of jump around and look at different parts of the company and try and figure out ways to improve those parts of the mm. company. And yeah. so, you know, things like our direct-to-consumer business, for example, that is not the way that a traditional beverage company builds a business. They build yeah, it by right. getting into Target. And we did all of that. But bringing something from my former life into this industry, when everybody doubted me, doubted our ability to do it, doubted that the consumer would ultimately jump into it. I mean, that's 55% of our overall business. So wow. I'm okay with actually like not having rule books and not having, you know, doing things the traditional way, I think because I've never really like done things the tra traditional <laughs> yeah. way, if that makes right. sense. No, definitely. And just for some context on that question, I ask these types of questions now. I find myself asking them a lot more uh, recently because my son is about 17 months and my wife oh. is, yeah, thank you. And my wife is due in 
less than six weeks now with our daughter. And Uh, so anytime I can learn as much as I can about how different parenting styles and techniques were able to help cultivate that genuine desire of curiosity in kids. I'm always, always really intrigued by that. And so maybe you as a parent, uh, from the parent's perspective now raising your own kids, uh, maybe you have a, and and sorry to the audience, you guys know that I like to ask these parenting questions every once in a while. So this is kind of a selfish one for me, but as a parent now, do you do anything in particular to kind of continue to cultivate that same level of curiosity about the world and, and to be an epic, almost experimenter of life with your kids? You know, it's interesting. I mean, it's great. I was just sharing this with an entrepreneur the other day who has younger kids, a little bit older than your kids, but younger kids. And, you know, I think it's a challenging time, right? Especially if your kids are in school right now and you're having to homeschool them mm, and, you know, yeah. it's and have a startup. Like it's just a, it's an incredibly challenging time. But what I've learned from my kids, because they were little, I, I started this company when I was, you know, basically, well, I was pregnant with my fourth child, but I had four kids under the age of six, which is, you know, crazy in and of itself, but starting this company and having a startup. And what I've, you know, learned along the way is, you know, there was always this conversation, like keep family and like business separate. And I didn't know how to do that. So I run the company with my husband. He's our chief operating officer. And, you know, we would definitely have moments where, you know, it was, we just basically had to like say, we can't talk about business anymore because we've been talking for 17 hours about it. But what I now see, and I have three kids in college and one in high school, is that my kids know way more about building a business than anyone they they know their yeah. age. Yeah. And like they know so much. And in addition to that, their mom actually runs a company, which by the way, like females don't actually run companies in the US today. Like it just, there aren't that many. And so my kids, I have two girls and two boys, they have actually seen it happen in their house and I'm normal, right? Like they actually still want to hang out with me (laughs) and their friends want to come over and get, you know, pre-copies of the book and like talk and talk to me about like building these companies and how did you think about things? And, you know, and, and so again, like I think that, raising kids in not being afraid to actually bring them into the conversation. It doesn't mean like every dinner conversation needs to be, okay, Okay, let me talk to you about, you know, Travis's life today and, and what he right. did, right? Like, but I think it's just this, it's just not normal, right? To not talk about your work. Like, especially if you're passionate about it and you love what you do, hmm. right? Like, it's like, and I think there's this major stress, like to have a line between like what you do. But if you do that, like, how are your kids actually supposed to learn? And my kids like learned about, you know, preferred stock versus common stock. They learned hmm. about, you know, the challenges of building, you know, distribution and going up against like, the large soda companies, like they can actually speak to this and transfer that into things that they're dealing with at school. In addition, they've also seen me do things that are not normal, including I'm like working on a huge initiative in Washington around clean water. And, you know, everybody said like, you know, you're a for-profit company. How can you go to Washington and try and get this bill in front of Congress that, potentially changes how the, you know, EPA looks at water and like tries to put better regulations on things that are like cancer causing things in water. 
And I'm like, I don't know. I just go for it. So they see me now as doing stuff that is impossible. And Mm. I know that they're going to go do things that are way harder than what I ever thought were possible because you are setting, you know, the pace and you're the role model. Yeah. So that would be my biggest, you know, parenting tip is don't be afraid to share. And lead by example rather than totally spouting off the things that they should or can do, but then resorting back to a life where you didn't do the things that you're explaining to them are possible, right? Yeah, totally. And I think also like they're not afraid to be, I mean, most kids growing up are, you know, they hate their parents, right? Like my kids actually are not afraid to, I mean, we've had our moments, believe me, but they're actually not afraid to like actually say that they love their parents, you know, like, which is a, which is like, you know, again, in a world where a lot of kids don't talk to their parents, I think, you know, they've, really embrace the idea that like, no, I actually like my parents. Like they annoy me sometimes and they don't really (laughs) understand Fortnite and things like that. But they're, you know, they're, they're also, you know, they're okay. And they're (laughs) trying and more than anything. Well, cool. Again, that was kind of more of a selfish question, but I love the answer, but I want to get a little bit back into your story now specifically. So you said in, in high school, I think that's where we left off. So let's go post high school now. Talk to me about what happens after that. Was it a big pressure with your parents to to go to school or, you know, it's you were already entrepreneurial, you're already making some money and and doing these things with this toy store that you're working at? What was it more just we'll just go keep going along this path and see how that works out. Well, it's funny. I talk about this actually a lot and think about this a lot now because there was never any discussion about like not going to college in my house. So that was another thing that my parents really cared about. They, you know, we all went to school and, you know, I later found out how much my dad, you know, really cared about that. I mean, it's funny, I, you know, built a giant business for AOL. It was a billion dollars in revenue. And, you know, the first thing that my dad, when we'd be sitting at dinner and he'd introduce me to a friend that showed up, he'd be like, you know, she graduated from college. I'm like, dad, I've done a few (laughs) other things. Like he like cared so much about, you know, and, and I don't know why, like, I wish I knew why he cared. So, I mean, he passed away 10 years ago and it's sort of Mm. like one thing that I wish I would have asked him, like, why did he care so much about us all graduating from college? But he was incredibly proud that he, you know, had five kids that graduated from college. But basically after graduated from college, you know, I think more than anything, I, I wanted to get out of Arizona because I had, you know, grown up there and, and uh, went to school there. And, and I was like, I want to go do something different. And so one of the stories that a lot of people have talked to me about from my book is how I ultimately, you know, got a job. I had, I was a minor in finance. I was a majored in journalism and I wanted to write and I enjoyed finance. I enjoyed finance primarily because I didn't understand it until I started taking classes and also reading Fortune magazine and the Wall Street Journal a little bit too. Mm. And then I decided I wanted to go work in New York for then editor-in-chief Marshall Loeb. And so I literally like bought a plane ticket and went to New York and figured out how to get into the HR department. And uh, I'd written a letter to Marshall Loeb saying, hey, I'd love to come work for you. I'm like obsessed with your work. And he wrote me this nice, like, you know, dear John letter, like, sorry, but we don't have any roles available. But if you're ever in the New York area, you know, which you'll never be, but if you ever are, just let us know kind of thing. Well, I, 
you know, took that letter and I flew to New York. And <laughs> this was before like people had, or before there were security, like sitting down at the bottom of the Time Inc. building yeah, where it. Fortune was. And so I went into the, you know, HR department and just said, hi, I have this letter from Marshall Loeb and I want to apply for a job. And they didn't know what to do with me. The poor receptionist, I, I still can envision her face. She was like, who is this woman in here? And, you know, again, I just like, I think it just goes back to something I alluded to earlier. Like, I just thought it'd just be a really funny story. Like, if nothing else, like, yeah, I, right. I, I mean, I thought there was a relatively like high chance of being thrown out of there. But if nothing else, like, I just thought it'd be really fun to just try. And you know, I ended up getting an interview, not with Fortune, but with one of the other magazines and getting a job. And I mean, I think it's a good story even to sort of share with people today. And that, you know, when I hear like, oh, there's no jobs out there, like, you know, you can't ultimately go do anything. I think like, well, it's a great time to go and actually get a job, raise money, whatever you think you can't do, because ultimately everybody is on that program. And so you have less competition. To ultimately go do it. And so figuring out a different way is, you know, kind of challenging at times. But if there's a will, there's a way. And I think that is ultimately, you know, the story. Well, and it seemed to work out, you know, fairly well for you to this yeah. point. So, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so talk to me then about the transition over to AOL. How did that come about? Yeah. So I, you know, I started at Time and then I got, I ended up doing a stint at CNN, which, uh, is a whole other story, which had a great career there. And then ended up actually moving from New York with my husband out to the Bay Area. And I, I actually work for a startup of that was a spin out of Apple that was a, a little known Steve Jobs idea that was doing CD-ROM shopping. And this was in the uh, mid 90s. And that was another one where like, he basically, you know, I'd been obsessed with Steve Jobs and basically had just thought like he simplified computers and mm. he was making things pretty and, you know, visually interesting. And so I saw that somebody, uh, three guys that worked for him at Apple were spinning this company out. And so I just like picked up the phone and called these guys and said, hey, you know, I'm not looking for a job right now, but I'm I'd been at CNN and have some interesting experience. And I'd just love to hear like how you guys are building your business. And, you know, somebody said, sure, like come down for lunch. Like we'd love to talk to you. And so I did. And so all of a sudden I end up getting a role there. They were financed not just by Apple, but also by this company called AOL, which frankly I'd never heard of. And then after working there for six months, AOL acquired us and we were doing shopping on the CD-ROM. So we were putting, my job was to put retailers like J. Crew and L.L. Bean and others onto this disc. And so they asked me to run this thing called shopping on AOL. And, you know, I'm young and, you know, in my late 20s at this point, and I'm vice president, youngest vice president at AOL. I'm like willing to travel all over the country. And again, like I had no idea what I was doing. What I knew is that I just didn't really care. Like I just didn't really have any fears to pick up the phone and call Mickey Drexler, who was then the CEO of The Gap and just say, hey, we're doing the shopping thing and I'd love to come talk to you. And I don't know, like I've, I've yeah. just always been able to, to kind of get this stuff done. And so that was, you know, seven years at AOL and built a billion dollar business and managed a team of people at AOL. And 
And that really led ultimately to me finally saying, you know, it's a billion dollars and I think I'm going to go do something else. And, and that's kind of really where I took some time to kind of figure out exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And, yeah. and it was, um, you know, 9-11 came about. It's 2001. I, have, I was actually pregnant with my third child at this point. I was on maternity leave. And that's when I just decided that, you know, I had had a good run at AOL, but I also wanted to figure out what do I do next that really is making a difference. And yeah. I thought that that was a nonprofit. And that's when I, you know, was trying to interview with all these nonprofits, but it just wasn't sort of, I wasn't finding the one that I really wanted to kind of hang my hat with. And that's when I decided that I really want to focus on my own health, kind of as a parallel track. And when I realized that I had this huge addiction to Diet Coke, I didn't think there was anything wrong with Diet Coke because it said diet. That's when, you know, I was really like, gosh, I probably shouldn't really be drinking this because I have said to myself, I'm not going to have food that has like artificial ingredients in it and, yeah. you know, preservatives and whatever, but I had given a pass to my soda. And when I gave it up and started drinking plain water, I actually lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. And uh -huh. I started, I mean, it was really dramatic and, and it wasn't just weight. It was also like my energy levels came back. I yeah. like had this fog in front of me that was now gone. My skin had cleared up. And so that's when I really realized that, you know, this whole concept of health, like today, like we spent so much money on it, you know, healthcare system is just, you know, something that everybody cares about, right? Yeah. And what, what I realized is that the decks are so stacked against consumers to actually get healthy. No kidding. Um, you, know, you don't even understand how to get healthy. You, you know, you could shop at Whole Foods and like I did and thought, okay, if I shop at Whole Foods and I, I exercise, I'm good. But it wasn't that easy. Yeah, and so right. there's all these words that, you know, I think really confuse consumers. And that's when I, I gave up the water and started, you know, throwing fruit in my water and, and realized that there was this hole in the market that was, you know, really like what I had developed in my kitchen that I thought I can actually put it on the shelf. And, you know, I didn't even think it was a company, though. I just was like, I don't know. I was just like having fun. Which yeah, is sure. What Scratching I your own itch, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I just thought, I don't know. Maybe, like, if nothing else, it'd be really funny if I told people, "Well, I tried to get this product on the shelf at Whole Foods, and then it failed." Right? I couldn't. Like, the guy wouldn't talk to me. I just thought it'd be a really funny story. And little did I know. I mean, we're now today the largest non-alcoholic beverage in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper, Snapple. And I had no experience in the beverage industry. I mean, none of this was supposed to happen. And you know, today. It's, you know, it's a real company that is doing real business and we're in 30,000 retailers. We've got a 55% of our business is direct to consumer, which is my previous life, obviously. So I just think that, again, just the journey and a lot of what I talk about in my book too is, you know, you got to overcome your doubts and your doubters and you've got to just go try. And I think people need to hear that today. Yeah, your book is called Undaunted. And since you brought it up, I'd love to ask you just a couple of quick questions on that. What sparked the desire to write the book? And then what's like the overarching theme or principle that you hope readers take away from it? I decided to write it actually kind of unconventionally. I was out speaking a lot and I would often hear questions from audience members or almost statements where they would say, you know, unlike you, I don't have confidence. Like, 
you know, you've never had doubts or you've never had failures. And I started to realize like, you know, that they think they're different than me. And one day I, I said to this person who was making these big statements, I'm actually like a lot like you and I have doubts and I have doubters and I've had failures and I, you know, have had fears. But the difference between me and you is that I go try. Yes. And I try and break those things down. And so this kind of started happening a lot. I mean, I was, you know, prior to this year, I I was speaking, you know, two to three times a week throughout the world and talking about my journey of building Hint. But I thought there aren't books that ultimately tell people this, that it is that successful people, confident people, top athletes, whoever you want to like pick, along the way, like they all have these doubts and doubters and failures and fears and whatever, but they, they continue to get back up and try and they recognize that this is part of their journey and they tackle these things and they try and get rid of them. And, you know, they remember where things were hard or, you know, when the next one comes around, they go back to things that they got through. And there's this process that goes on that people need to know about. And I also feel like, entrepreneurism is, you know, so many people think it's like this, you know, super great, super sexy thing where I always share with entrepreneurs, like there's way easier ways to make money than actually yeah, being no an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's so, you know, as, as uh, Sheryl Sandberg, when she had a preview of this book said to me, like, you know, this is the most honest entrepreneur book that I've ever read. And the fact that you basically knew that there was a chance that you were going to fail, but you just said, I'm still going to go do it anyway, because we're going to, I'm going to get through this and it's going to be okay. And you like tackle things. And that is the thing that people need to hear. And so that was really the reason why I decided to just get this out there ultimately, because I felt that it could help people. If people actually heard my story and I inspired them, then maybe they would go find you know, go start that new company or yeah, go find that right. new job or, or frankly, get out of bed, right? Yeah. Like I think in today's day and age, there's a lot of people that are struggling, right? right. Like what do I ultimately want to do? And I tell people, you can do what you want to do if you set your mind to it. Yeah. Just take that first step. Just yep. take some action in that direction. And it's better than just sitting there and not doing anything for sure. Kara, I, I would love to ask you a couple of quick questions. I know we're, we're kind of running short on time here. I'd love to ask you a couple of quick questions around relationship building. And it's been sprinkled throughout your entire story. And I hear you mention name after name, even up to Sheryl Sandberg, you know, endorsing your book and things like that. How important in your life have, you, have your relationships been people like with people in your career business, maybe mentors or employees or staff, any, any sort of relationships that maybe come to mind? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. I mean, all of those people, obviously I couldn't have built this company without, you know, a team and employees and also, you know, my husband and my family and we're, you know, my husband's our chief operating officer, as I mentioned. So I think really just having a yin and yang in building, I don't think that it's just on me or just on him. I think it's basically like figuring out what skills and and that relationship and how that works together in order to kind of, you know, get to A plus B plus equal C kind of situation. 
But I feel like mentors, I have sort of a different kind of take on mentorship, I think, which is I've never officially kind of called people out as like, will you be my mentor? Instead, what I figured out is, and I think this kind of goes true too for like coaching and coaches, I I would say, I always tell people like, what do you feel, feel like you really need, right? And try and figure out who that person is that really, really shines in that specific skill set and who teaches you and inspires you and try and figure out like how you can meet them or how you can, you know, really be around them to kind of hear how they think about things. Because I think that that's, that really is mentorship. So I have almost informal mentors around me. I mean, Leslie Blodgett, who built Bare Essentials, you know, Jamie Dimon, who I ended up meeting at a like at a dinner. I didn't even know who Jamie runs JP Morgan Chase was at that dinner, but we ended up, you know, sitting next to each other and just hitting it off. And, you know, now he also reviewed the book too, which is really scary when you have people like Sheryl Sandberg and Jamie (laughs) reviewing the book, right? Like you're just kind of like, okay, you put on your big girl undies, you know, when (laughs) you have to get their feedback back, you're just like, oh my God. And John Legend is also one of my investors and he's awesome. But he was another one where I was just like, he's like, I got to have 30 days to read the book. And I'm like, just give me a blurb for the back of the book. And he's like, no. I'm like, I hate all my friends and mentors, right? (laughs) Like they're like, they're hard. Um, But ultimately I think, you know, again, like surrounding yourself with people that, you know, even though I know them are still so inspiring and, you know, and bring juice to sort of my, you know, when I need it or questions along the way, I think it's really important. Yeah. To me, it's really just about realizing that your environment is what shapes you. And that includes in a big way, the people that you surround yourself with. And the thing that I think most people forget about is that you have the ability, you have the control to shape your environment. So if you can control the thing that shapes you, then why not try to fill it up with a bunch of people who who shape you into becoming a better version of yourself? And that's clearly something that you've done, Kara. I got to ask you this question before we move on to the last segment and I'll let you go. Who you know or what you know, Kara, which of those two do you view as being more important and why? More important. Wow. I would have to say... God, can I say a little of both? Yeah, yeah, of course. So this is this is just so you know, this is the staple question that I've asked every guest that's ever. Yeah, 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 no. I think it's always a little bit of a yin and yang, but if you had to like kind of emphasize one a little bit more than the other one. Yeah, I would have to say it would be who you know, because I think that who you know ultimately helps you think, right? Mm, And helps you get information, right? I think just having the information doesn't necessarily, sometimes I guess it could get you to the people that you need to know too, but I would probably, yeah, I'd probably go with the, the, the people and the relationships and who you know. Yeah. The way that I look at it is that the who you know is a more duplicatable way of getting knowledge, whereas the what you know doesn't always lead to the relationships. And if, if you are absolutely the best at what you do, right, like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, then you've created obviously an insane amount of relationships because of how amazing totally. you do. But for the average person that's trying to, like, to go from point A to point B and, and whatever their goals are, I think that it is a much more duplicatable, repeatable process to get to know the best people that are in that world or in that industry 
and learn directly from them in which also it's kind of like a feedback loop that keeps getting better and better. The more you get to know the who's, the more your what increases, which allows you to spend more time with the who's, which allows you to get more of the what, you know what I mean? And I think that it kind of starts with starts with that who there. But I appreciate your insight there, Carol. Let's move on. Last segment here. So I'm going to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yep. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? A judge. I'd love to be a judge. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Martin Luther King. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Podcasts. Tell me one of your favorites. Well, yours, of course. Well, yeah, right? but well, yeah, besides build your network, because we know that's at the top of the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I would say Guy Kawasaki's. I love his too. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Wake up and hike. What is your go-to pump-up song? I get asked this every time I'm speaking, and I, I, I'm never really good with this. How about <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a feeling. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. Setting business aside, what's something that you are just not very good at generally? Dancing. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Kara, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? All social channels, Kara Golden on every social channel. Perfect. So if you want to go connect more with Kara, which I highly recommend doing, be sure to go check out some of her social profiles, wherever it is that you like to connect. She's on there at Kara Golden. And then also, please, please, please go pick up a copy of her book, Undaunted. I know I say this all the time on the show, but I got to mention it again. Whenever we have a book recommendation, don't let it go to the bottom of your list and and don't wait to pick it up because you're going to forget, I promise you. So pull out your phone right now. Of course, do this safely. Okay, if you're driving, don't do it right now. Wait till you're stopped. But do it safely as soon as you can. Pull it up, grab it, go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Undaunted. I, I promise you will not regret that. Kara, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Really, really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sign up. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.